to the show this morning, we have Jason Ryle. He is the executive director of Imaginative. So welcome, Jason. It's great that you're here. Thanks very much, David. Appreciate you coming in. I think uh, you have some uh, very exciting news about Imaginative and Netflix. It does, yeah. It's been a pretty momentous year for us, actually, David. We're, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary you, you this are, year yeah. on top of everything that's going on. Uh, and we've been getting a lot of attention in the last week or so for a little bit of news surrounding <laughs> Netflix at Imaginative. Uh, so we're very happy for that. Um, and it's been uh, about a year mm. in the making. Mm. Um, and we're very happy that us at Imaginative, uh, as well as our, our friends at uh, the Indigenous Screen Office and Wapikoni Mobile, were also recipients of this pocket of funding from Netflix. Do you mind me asking how long you've been associated with with uh, Imaginative? I've been associated with Imaginative for 17 years. Okay, so I'm glad you said that because here's what I want to ask you. Yeah. 17 years ago, would you have ever imagined this kind of thing happening? Do you know, I mean, if I could have foretold the existence of a, a streaming service <laughs> like Netflix, uh, I, you know, perhaps <laughs> I won't be here or it'll be here in a very different capacity. Um, look, we always dreamt big mm. with Imaginative. And mm. I think, you know, filmmakers um, still continue to dream really mm. big about what's possible and mm. what's coming down. So, and rightfully so, of course. And rightfully so, absolutely. I mean, Imaginative was founded to support Indigenous filmmakers uh, and the diverse works that they're creating on screen. Um, so I think really from the outset, it was about dreaming big. It was about uh, subverting and disrupting an industry that was really actively suppressing or ignoring uh, and oftentimes erasing Indigenous perspectives on screen. So we were always looking ahead to the future to uh, help to establish an industry uh, and really to entrench Indigenous stories um, on all kinds of screens. So perhaps we didn't envision this specifically, but this fits into the larger dream, I think, in terms of what we had for it. And of course, it's a, it's a great opportunity with the kind of things that are coming out with this kind of streaming service, which enables this to happen. Yeah. So I, I just want to go back to, you just sort of established what Imaginative is there to do in terms of supporting and helping uh, Indigenous filmmakers, etc. Is there anything else you can add to that in terms of how and what Imaginative was set up to do? For sure. I mean, we... Um, there's about 75 to 80 film festivals mm -hmm. in Toronto. So it's, it's a city that really supports um, the presentation of film. Uh, I think people most uh, will think of TIFF mm -hmm. uh, or Hot Docs, really, mm -hmm. they're the first that come to mind. Um, but Imaginative and other festivals at, at sort of, you know, that we that grew up, I think, along the same time as we did, um, really are also anchor festivals in the Toronto landscape. Um, and for us, you know, looking back at that time, there was a lot of work done leading up to 2000, uh, our first festival, um, the tireless work of like Alanisa Bomsawin, Loretta Todd, Jeff Bear, all those people who really paved the way for mm. what's come now mm. um, and all the incredible work and, and, and fights and challenges and, and strength that they've had. Um, so for us, you know, it was really a time where still the larger industry uh, was making stories supposedly about Indigenous people mm. or Indigenous cultures, but told and created by non-Indigenous right. people. Um, and so really that was the starting point for Imaginative. It was to give a platform for Indigenous artists to tell the kinds of stories that they really wanted to tell. And those early years, you know, were, were lean in terms of programming. The industry was very different um, than it is now. Uh, I mean, this century certainly has been characterized by a continued growth in Indigenous filmmakers, 
uh, picking up cameras, telling stories, mm-hmm. creating new kinds of stories too, like in VR and video games. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been such an incredible proliferation of this work over this past uh, over the past two decades. Um, and I think you know the integrity of that mandate still remains true. Uh, so, you know, the visionaries who really thought that mandate up uh, have done the organization. And I think the industry and our communities and our nations uh, very well, um, because really what it's done is it's given that platform uh, and it's given opportunities for new types of networks to be built, uh, for careers to be made mm. uh, and for a lot of inspiration to happen, because that clearly happens every single time we show a film. OK. Now, you mentioned Toronto specifically. Does Imaginative help help filmmakers uh, in other festival areas outside of Toronto? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're based in in Toronto. Um, uh, we're a Canadian-based festival, and about fifty percent of the works that we show at the festival are from Canada. Mm. Um, it's 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 split. I mean, it's a you know we have a lot from Ontario, a lot from BC, a lot from Quebec, and we try as much as possible based on what's submitted. Um, to represent a diversity within Canada, but also internationally. We're an international festival. Mm. Um, this particular funding with Netflix is intended to directly support professional development of Indigenous um, filmmakers. So what uh, does that mean when you say that? So Netflix, when they announced this fund, it was a larger $25 million fund that they announced to support right. different organizations within Canada uh, specific to professional development. Um, so this is what our uh, our little pocket that we've received will support our industry, um, our institute rather, initiatives at the festival. So in addition to the Imaginative Film and Media Arts Festival, our tour, Imaginative as an organization also has a department called the Imaginative Institute that oversees all our professional development and industry-related activities. So for us, this includes professional development labs for producers, for directors, for screenwriters, and also different kinds of mentorship opportunities. So the intent there is to really support Indigenous filmmakers at different levels all across Canada. It's a Canadian-focused initiative um, to develop their careers, to help build networks. Um, And for us, really, we're in the stage still of of dreaming up specifically what we're going to do with this pocket of funding that we have. We know the general aspects that we're going to create, but the actual um, eligibility elements, the, the components of the actual uh, labs, for example, are still to be developed, which we're undertaking throughout the course of the summer. Now, so, I mean, obviously, I'm guessing that Netflix has, has a, an ulterior motive here is that they want content uh, to build on content. When you say professional development, I guess that's why I'm, I'm asking about that. Does that mean it's limited to professionals? Uh, no, I think it, it means more specifically just uh, skills development, network building. It's really the the larger term that we use okay. in the industry, I think, specific to this. Um, for us, I mean, we really want it to be uh, used for those who are interested in terms of emerging filmmakers who want to get into the field, but also those who have been working in the field and who are established. Because I think, um, you know, an established director, for example, mm-hmm. really could still have some assistance with uh, opening new doors, for example. Right. And perhaps this can, mm-hmm. perhaps we can help in this regard. Perhaps the Indigenous Screen Office, through their, their support mechanisms as well, could provide some support there. The intent is for us to sort of see how, not to replicate what's been done, uh, but to fill the gaps and to fill the void in terms of the opportunities for Indigenous filmmakers. Um, and I think, you know, as we as we're looking at building the components of these things, we are um, we are very conscious in terms of what's out there. So as not to replicate what's out there, we want things to either um, complement 
or as I mentioned, to, to fill a gap in terms of what's available. So you mentioned uh, something earlier about how lean it was in the early days. How have you seen the, the industry proliferate in terms of what's coming towards you and what you're seeing in terms of the quality and those kind of things that are happening now? It's amazing. I mean, that's a lot to unpack. Um, you know, in thinking about our 20th anniversary yeah. for this year, your mind always goes back, of course, as, as it does in any kind of anniversary year. Um, and looking back, and I've done this at various points throughout my time at Imaginative, and I mean, you really see not just the development of the Indigenous screen industry, if you want to call it that, or the Indigenous screen sector, or Indigenous cinema, as it's also been called, um, but now, like 20 years back and even further, uh, you really see the development and, uh, and growth of indigenous national cinemas. And I think that's what's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And I think that positions us in a really interesting and vital way for the decades to come. Uh, we can go back and actually look and discuss at depth so many aspects of Anishinaabe cinema, for example, or Inuit cinema or Maori cinema. Mm. Um, And I think that's what's really exciting about where we are. And I think that's the best way to kind of characterize that growth and development that's happened over this century. Um, You know, I think as as a young festival, you're trying to get attention. Um, So that was an aspect in terms of, you know, why it was so lean. But also there just really wasn't the amount of works being created at that time. So we grew in parallel to the industry in as much as I think we helped foster the growth of them. Mm. Um, and I, it, I think that's a really good place to be, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been such a gift yeah. to be with this organization. And it's been a, an incredible gift to, to work with the people that I have, but also to work in that community of artists. Mm-hmm. Um, it's inherently international, I think, this mm. industry. And yeah. our nations are inherently international. Exactly, we, we share yeah. so many similarities. But there's so many incredible differences, too. So while there's a shorthand, you learn so much. Mm. I've learned so much. And every year is so different because mm. each year the festival changes and grows because the industry changes and grows, yeah. um, because our society and our communities and our nations change and grow. Um, so that's the part of it that I find really enriching and really fulfilling. And my hope is that we create a festival environment that sort of passes that on. And, and that's, I think, the general feedback that we get, that, which, mm. is, which is really positive. But again, too, we really try to take that, that ethos and that, that mentality and, and apply it to our different activities that we do as well. So on the industry side, the institute side, um, with our labs, we're really trying to, and we will, um, develop labs from indigenous perspectives, which I think is really important. And I think which is really what makes uh, this proposition quite unique. Yeah, I guess I was, I was going to ask you something about... Why do you think this happened now? Why do you think that Netflix has approached your, you know, imaginative at this point in time for for this kind of a of a deal, etc.? Um, do you think it has anything to do with the twentieth anniversary? I think it. I don't know if it has anything to do specifically. We've never actually had that conversation, Netflix <laughs> and I. Netflix and I sounds like something. Um, but I think I think perhaps in regards it speaks to perhaps the um, uh, the work that we've done over 20 years. And mm-hmm. I think the impact that this organization and the filmmakers have really had, um, not just in Canada, but internationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still in a place of firsts in our industry in a lot of ways. Um, and to me, that means there's a lot of exciting things happening 
um, because of the history of cinema, uh, there haven't been some, uh, a lot of these stories brought to screen before mm-hmm. from indigenous mm-hmm. perspectives. So from the industry's perspective, this is all very new, very exciting. So it's certainly attractive. But it's a, it's a cumulative effort. I mean, imaginative isn't, is, isn't the only reason why these things are happening. I mean, it's come from so many different places, and it's right. come from decades of work yes. uh, from so many people, not just here in Canada, but around the world, to kind of bring these things to fruition. So you mentioned earlier about, you know, is the ulterior motive actual production funds? Mm. I'm, I'm hoping that's Netflix ulterior motive, because that's certainly <laughs> ours. I mean, we want to see more sure. of our work being funded at a level that it needs to be funded mm-hmm. and at a diversity of these work that needs to be funded. Right. Uh, because I think we're long past the days where they only fund one indigenous production every several years. And mm-hmm. if that isn't uh, financially successful, commercially successful, um, we can't just let them get away and say, no, there's no interest in audience for that. Mm-hmm. They need to fund it wholesomely across the board, many different kinds of projects Um in the same way that every other industry is really funded, I think, uh, and to give projects room to grow, room to breathe, room to succeed, and even room to fail. Mm, yeah, of course. Well, failure, uh, that's how people learn. Uh, and uh, like anyone, uh, failure is an important uh, growth tool. So um, <laughs> interesting. How about that? How, what what things over the years that, that Imaginative have done would you say are successes or maybe not so successful that you've in, encountered over time? I think, you know, one of the things that I, I learned uh, early on from my grandmother mm. is that you, you're you always in a, in a stage of growing up. Mm. You never sort of reach this plateau. You're mm. always constantly mm. growing. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've tried to instill within the organization, too. Um, I think early on, we maybe had this idea that there was this perfect equation for how to run a festival. Mm. Uh, I mean, we were all quite young, I mm. think, doing what we were doing and mm. doing it for the first time. Um, but we learned again quickly that, no, you're, you're constantly learning mm-hmm. um, from things that you do at the festival. And it may not be you may not be able to demonstrate that you've learned until a year later or sometimes longer because you're a festival, an annual festival based production. So it takes some time. You know, I think I think it's probably it's sometimes hard to talk about the successes in some way. I'm, I'm trying to sort of, I think, you know, with the 20th year to find a way to speak about the impact that we have. And we certainly have had impact. And, and I'm very proud of what we've collectively achieved with the organization. Um, and, um, you know, it's 20 years. There's going to be new leadership taking over, which I'm very excited about because I think they're going to do bigger and better things um, than have been done to date. I think, you know, in terms of lessons learned, one of, the, one of the biggest, and I suppose this is a good example of how the organization can respond um, or, or chooses to respond, um, is the introduction of health support workers throughout the festival. Mm. So throughout the festival, each day we have indigenous health support workers trained in things like residential school trauma, for example, uh, and we also have elders on hand. Um, so, you know, the contents of the work that we show very often can be triggering in many ways, uh, and be very emotional at the very least. I mean, this work is still a healing process for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, we learned there was a responsibility to our audiences. Um, and so in terms of talking with those who know much better than we do, mm. recommended for this one particular screening that we had about residential school survivors to have uh, health support workers on hand. And it, we did it for one screening at one festival. 
Um, and we were really taken aback, I think, um, by the response. I mean, we had expected um, that it would be indigenous people, perhaps, or their families, the residential school survivors who would use these services more. Um, but it was vastly, like 80% non-indigenous um, people who requested the support of the health support workers. Mm-hmm. And it's still pretty evenly split in terms of um, the usage. Uh, and I think that's just shows an example of how we try to care for mm-hmm. the audience mm-hmm. uh, without censoring um, indigenous artistic expression in the works that we show, uh, which is very important, I think, to uphold. I think it also uh, points to the, uh, to the impact that the work has on people as well. Yes, indeed. Um, I think, uh, you know, one of the the analogies that I use is, uh, you know, these stories of residential school survivors, MMIW, the impacts of colonization will be cornerstones and fabrics of our cinemas for generations in the same way that Jewish filmmakers, I Mm -hmm. think, will always tell stories of the Holocaust Mm -hmm. and African-American filmmakers may tell stories about the civil rights, for example. Um, These will be fabrics of our of our screen storytelling. But over the past Decade in particular, I would say, we're seeing a lot more diversity of works. We're seeing rom-coms and sci-fis mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and experimental works. And yeah. um, I think that speaks to the vitality great. of the industry. Absolutely. And, and the health of, of, the, of the nation and of the people. Precisely, precisely, precisely. I think, um, I think that's particularly true, my personal opinion, when it comes to science fiction. I mm. think when nations and artists can dream about the future mm. in different ways, it's, it says a lot about where we are in the present. Yeah, well said. I'm a big sci-fi supporter. Good spot for a break. We will be right back on Element FM, so please don't go away. We will we will be speaking more with Jason Rao from the Imaginative Film Festival right after this. Welcome back to Element FM, and you are listening in Toronto and Ottawa. I'm your host, David Moses. This is Moment of Truth. Our guest today, Jason Ryle. Let me start that again. Our guest today, Jason Ryle. He is the Imaginative Executive Director, and it is their 20th year anniversary. Congratulations on that. I'm guessing that's probably going to spur some 20-year excitement. It is. I, I feel like the 20-year excitement has been brewing for a few years. <laughs> um, I think you have to think quite far in ahead with, with planning with these, um, with these anniversary years. Um, so I talked a bit earlier just about the importance, I think, about the 20 years, about how it's really caused us to look back over the course of Imaginative's programming history uh, and see really the impact and shape of, of what these artists' work have contributed to um, to so many things, to our storytelling traditions, to our artistic industries and cultures, uh, but also to the fabric of, of Canada and, you know, the other nation states around the world. Um, for us, you know, our 20th year, we are planning... I'm just mentally trying to think about what I can say and what I can't say at this point in terms of our special programming. <laughs> sure. um, so we're certainly planning um, a, a big festival, and mm. it will be by far our largest festival mm. to date, which we're very excited about. Great. So to fit in all the programming, we've added an extra date. Nice. So we're now six days this wow. year, which is Great. something I think will keep going forward. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in addition to our film and video programming, which is really still the cornerstone of what we do. Uh, We have a number of exhibitions. Um, We have audio work that we show, audio documentaries, podcasts, but also soundscapes and um, artistic uh, audio works. Um, And um, we started last year, but we're enhancing it again this year, the presentation of digital and interactive media art. Mm. So uh, video games, VR, 360, um, and different types of digital work that's really coming. Because we're seeing that sector and that, mm. that community really grow quite rapidly. Mm. 
And we want to see how we as an organization and a curatorial institution um, can help to support the growth and development of that sector of the media arts. Now, we were talking, of course, the other thing that, that is really big news, of course, is the, the deal you're signing with Netflix. And you did touch on a little bit of this earlier in terms of the kind of things that, that Imaginative does in terms of mentorship and, and helping um, artists uh, with their, their film development, with professional development. Uh, are there other things that Imaginative does in terms of that area? I know you touched on some of them, but I'm just wondering if there's anything else that people might be curious to hear about. For sure. I can actually speak a little bit more specifically mm-hmm. about what the Netflix partnership sure. will support. Um, there are six initiatives that it's going to support. Uh, I mentioned uh, the labs. So we will be developing a producer's lab, mm-hmm. uh, a director's lab, and a screenwriter's lab. Um, we piloted a screenwriter's lab last year, which was really successful. So we're using that as the basis to develop these labs further. Um, and the screenwriter's lab will support the development of uh, feature-length narrative dramatic scripts from Indigenous okay. uh, artists from across Canada. So mm-hmm. we're very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Producers Lab and the Directors Lab, again, we're going to be looking at sort of what's out there currently so we're not replicating. Um, and again, seeing how we can infuse, um, you know, what we've learned and, and our networks into those labs specifically. We also have um, an initiative called Imaginative Originals Mentorship Program. Mm-hmm. Um, And this is an expansion of something we've been doing for quite a few years. So we've been partnering with various artist-run organizations, mostly here in Toronto, one in Calgary and one in in Fredericton, um, to identify uh, an Indigenous person who wants to make their first short film. Mm. So it's it's a mentorship in the sense that they get access to to some older experienced talent, Mm -hmm. um, or more experienced talent rather, uh, but also the equipment and resources at these artist-run centers, camera equipment, lighting, etc. And from the festival point of view, we provide them a guaranteed spot for presentation and Mm -hmm. bring them out to the festival so they have that festival experience. Uh, We're going to be expanding this nationally to all uh, provinces and territories with this support. So we'll do one in each province and territory. Um, So that's very exciting. And so it really gives... uh, um, uh, still primarily a professional development experience, but also mm-hmm. a creation uh, production experience for those people involved. Right. Um, we also have um, a, a program under this thing called the Original Storytellers Series Incubator. Um, and this one we're going to flesh out more. This is looking perhaps at, uh, at web series and television series. How, And this is more for a team. This is for a producer, director, uh, screenwriter mm-hmm. team. Um, or a showrunner um, to develop a concept more further, perhaps the development of a series Bible, for example. Um, this one still is really in the early development stages there, but that's the core idea in terms of what we're thinking, and we'll be developing that further, I think, throughout the year, towards the end of the year. Um, and then we have our year-round and festival-based panels and workshops. So as part of the festival, we have the mm-hmm. Industry Days, right. uh, which is five days of, of panels and workshops, um, and industry micro-meetings. And these are really important sort of one-on-one speed-dating type meetings where directors, producers, all Indigenous, uh, can meet with various industry leaders and decision-makers from Canada and around the world. And this has grown really significantly so uh, over the last couple of years. And I think with all the changes um, socially, politically, economically that have been happening in Canada Mm -hmm. vis-a-vis 
uh, indigenous peoples and mm. uh, our stories and our industries. Um, there's a lot more attention, I think, on initiatives like this. So we're expecting, again, a huge turnout from industry representatives to attend this event. So it's a great spot if filmmakers have uh, an idea and are looking for funding or perhaps are looking for something specific in terms of like a distribution deal or a letter of intent to support to get additional funding. Um, these are the types of sessions that we have to support those initiatives. Wow, that sounds great. Uh, there's there's a couple of things come to mind uh, as you were saying that, and I'm, I'm, I always try to think of a listener sitting out there getting excited about what you're saying and going, oh, I want to know more about this. How do I find out? So obviously there's a website that people can go to and, and find out more. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's imaginative.org, mm-hmm. um, and it's the full word imagine, I-M-A-G-I-N-E, native, N-A-T-I-V-E, dot org. Uh, we'll be developing further our institute site um, with the information on the the Netflix initiatives as they as they develop over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, for this year, we'll be doing um, the uh, in- industry days panels and workshops at the festival and launching the Screenwriters Lab. Um, so those are the two initiatives that will be taking place in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the others will be all launched in 2020. So in 2020 is the full slate of Netflix right. professional development initiatives that we have at Imaginative. So the other thing that comes to mind, of course, is uh, deadlines and filling out forms and those kind of things. How important is that for people to know in terms of how much time to give themselves, uh, you know, to approach these, uh, to fill out the forms, get everything in order that you're going to need for the criteria that you have, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then meeting those deadlines. Are there, I know the deadline dates would be up there. Um, but are they ongoing? Is there a specific like date per year per I, annum? Or? I think it'll be it'll depend on which initiative it is, and okay. we'll, we'll still work out the details. Uh, those specific details, um, we still have yet to work out those specific details. Mm-hmm. Um, but they will be on the website for sure. Right. So we always tell people the best way to to learn about our deadlines and our opportunities is to sign up to our e bulletin, which you can do through our website. Mm-hmm. Um, and follow our socials. I mean, we really find that our, our social media networks are, are the best way right. to um, get wind of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're quite good at keeping our website up okay. to date in terms mm-hmm. of our deadline opportunities. Um, but there are no current deadlines now. Um, with the micro meetings at the festival, those will all be announced prior to the festival. A lot of things are, require advanced sign up, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always really want to stress, too, with everyone who might be listening, uh, even their, you know, especially if they're an emerging filmmaker, is we're here to answer their questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of our job. Right. Um, it's not disturbing us if someone calls and asks even the most basic question. Right. That's why we're here. We right. desperately want to hear from them. Right. Uh, so I think that's really important to communicate. Great. Appreciate you saying that. Um, so the other thing that came to mind as you were talking about these things, and and I'm I'm pretty sure it's just about with any artist in in any field, and that is knowing the business side of of the. Of things, it seems to fall off the, the the table for a lot of people that are interested in doing their art. They just want to get down and, and create, but the business side is so important for people to know and understand. Yes, yes, it is, and and it's uh, you know I think uh, I think a lot of uh, artists are are fantastic business people, and um, you know be it they applying for Canada Council grants or different Arts Council grants to support the creation of their work. But it's true. I mean, where we really see uh, a gap in terms of the capacity pool is with Indigenous producers. Mm. Um, so this is something that has long been acknowledged, and uh, we're hoping to address in our way that we can through mm-hmm. the Indigenous um, Producers Lab mm-hmm. that we're going to be launching. 
um, but also in sort of in, in different networking opportunities. Uh, I think a lot of indigenous artists who are directors and screenwriters have also really functioned as producers in their in their own regard. And that's a lot of work to do, particularly sure. if you want um, if you're ramping up to higher production mm. uh, in terms of budget and, mm. and larger productions in terms of scale. Uh, having that additional support is really necessary. And I think having support of indigenous producers um, who understand where you're coming from and where mm. your story is coming right. from, because that cultural gap still exists. And of that's course, certainly yeah. something that is yeah. always acknowledged as a challenge because you're trying to uh, explain so much. That yeah. can be a very deep very cultural true. gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're spending more time doing that perhaps and really sort of focusing on creating your work. So that business angle for sure is absolutely really necessary. And I think that's part of what we're trying to accomplish with the Institute and the activities that we do is to really uh, pass on that knowledge and and help to kind of make those connections between artists to the business side of things. Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting as you were mentioning that and, and all the things that you're trying to sort of express in your work that you're trying to touch on in terms of whether it be the writing or, or the film part of it and, and the business side uh, I also think about, you know, the on-site sort of things that people may do in communities where, you know, you need to get you need to get permission or you know, that, all that kind of stuff can slow up your production work or, you know, time frame, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I'm sure a number of of uh, of uh, films have run into that kind of thing. It's very true. And, and this is why um, we we brought together a bunch of partners and a national advisory to create the on-screen protocols and pathways mm. framework that we mm. launched a couple of months ago. Um, and uh, this was, you know, years in the making uh, and based on a similar framework that's been existent in Australia for 10, 15 years mm. um, that really guides uh, filmmakers, all filmmakers, right. in terms of meaningful production yeah. uh, in relation to collaboration and consent Right. Uh, when it comes to indigenous content, stories and places. Mm -hmm. So the the protocols framework that exists now currently on our website is largely from a production point of view. Um, and our hope uh, is that there's a second phase to that down the road um, or that this is adapted by communities or PTOs or different nations themselves um, to really develop that from their own unique cultural community, national points of view to to to. Uh, develop their own protocols in relation to their their own nation or community. Um, because, yes, it's absolutely true. I mean, the time of productions consulting Indigenous mm -hmm. people is over. Yeah. Uh, these people rightfully need credits and they yeah. need yeah. and they need fair payment for mm -hmm. the work that they're doing. Absolutely. Well said. You know, uh, uh, as you were as you were you were also uh, mentioning those things. You know what? Whatever I was going to say is gone. So let's move on from that. Hmm. Um, it, it's. Uh, uh, just a moment. So, uh, so the other thing, uh, I think you, you've you've hired a couple of new people as well. It is, yeah. So this is my my final year as executive director mm. at Imaginative. Um, it's time to to move on. Wow. Wow. I think you know it's uh, all, yeah. change is always is good. It, yes, it is good for me. Good for the organization. And we just recently announced uh, the hiring of Nikki Little as our new artistic director and Naomi Johnson as the associate director who'll be working with me over the course of the next year um, uh, in terms of, and she'll eventually take over the um, uh, the operations uh, of the organization and the festival. Naomi Johnson, that's 
Name's very familiar to me. Yeah, she's uh, she's um, was working at the Woodland Cultural Center for okay, quite a number no of years. Familiar yeah, yeah. <laughs> the past the past while. Yeah, so we're we're I'm very excited. Yeah. Um, these two individuals are are fantastic, um, very well accomplished and highly accomplished in in their practices mm. in their field for now. So we're very fortunate to have them uh, as part of the team. Um, and we've been very fortunate as an organization um, to really have grown as much as we have. And there's been significant growth in the last couple of years. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're, we're peopled up. We're ready for, for this, this 20th festival. Um, and again, it's always about creating a space to bring people together to celebrate the work of Indigenous artists and their nations. Wow. It sounds very exciting. Lots of things going on, as you say. You're moving on. Congratulations to you, and especially in whatever endeavors you end up uh, pursuing and going forward with. And also congratulations to the, the two people, Nikki Little and, and uh, Naomi Johnson, who have been hired and uh, looking forward from great, to, from great things for them to, that they can bring forward as well. Do you have any idea what you're have, have any plans for the future? Oh, there's, there's a lot in the works. <laughs> I'm really excited about what's to come. Uh, I, I mean, there's a, there's a few things here and there. Uh, I want to spend more time with my family. Mm. Uh, I miss them. They're, they're in Winnipeg. So yep. okay. I, I'm planning to spend more time with them. Uh, and we'll see. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that maybe there's um, a producer path uh, <laughs> that I might be walking down a little bit. <laughs> okay. That sounds good. Um, now, the other thing I was wondering about as we've been talking, and that is dealing with film, dealing with this industry and and what it does it's it's kind of going back to it's bringing back the oral tradition right it really is but from your perspective what have you seen in terms of whether it be inuit whether it be uh, an indigenous or, or a person from canada or a maori which is, of course there's lots of out there there's lots of great films what do you think that that indigenous people bring to that to that form of expression that is different I think there's so much. I think there's an authenticity and sincerity. Uh, I think that often is is not is not apparent in mm. in current Hollywood films. Um, certainly, when it comes to the representation of our stories on screen, and also our faces and our bodies on screen, uh, I think the way that Indigenous filmmakers present Indigenous people on screen is incredibly different, and that's so radical. And I think that's so transformative when we see ourselves presented in complex, realistic ways. Um, and maybe even if it's not a representation of, you know, contemporary reality, if it's looking at the past or the future, again, it has a very different type of authenticity. So it's this authentic voice, that I think, that is so essential to really help support and nurture. And I think that comes through. Uh, you know, with, with programming, we watch about between three to 400 films a year mm. um, for the festival. Uh, and you do that over the course of, you know, years or even decades, perhaps. Um, and you, um, you, you always see a diversity of voice in there, but I mean, I think that it's that authenticity and sincerity and, um, uh, it's that insider voice, you know, uh, instinctively when a work is coming from an artist who lives within the community and who has lived an, an indigenous, um, uh, reality. You mentioned voice. I think the other thing that comes to mind when I think of this is the feel, just the feeling, the feeling that. Like you're saying, it's there, it's, it's in there. Maybe not that apparent, but yeah, you just feel it. Yeah, you do. You feel it. And you feel so many things. I mean, um, you feel pride. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you, you feel all the emotions that you feel when you're watching the films that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's great is, you know, we're, we're always pushing against this idea that indigenous cinema um, is a genre. Uh, I think it's very different now, um, that misperception, than it was maybe 10 or or 20 years ago. I mean, I think in the past people would have thought it was um, Cowboys and Indians, these Western movies, or even uh, Mm. ethnographic-style documentaries. Mm. Um, And it's so much more than that, of course. And I think now uh, one of the misperceptions uh, is that the work is quite intense or or heavy or depressing or Mm -hmm. some of the things Mm -hmm. that I've heard levied against uh, uh, our cinema um, and again, that's not true. We spoke a bit about that earlier in terms of why those works are so important. Right. Um, but so many of them, too, deal with very different tones, very different content. So there's a lot of humor. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of drama and a lot of very different types of work that are coming out from there. Um, and I think those in, in their entirety, if someone were to sit there and watch you know, every single film uh, that we're presenting at Imaginative, and I hope people do, uh, you really get such an incredible breadth of experiences and feelings and glimpses into people's lives and into other other nations and i think mm. that's what's so beautiful about it niche humor and uh also yeah. <laughs> i would say sometimes the odd uh, thrown in uh, inside joke that <laughs> yeah that you always get with these things it's it's funny when you take because uh, again i've had the great privilege of taking a lot of our, our films out to different parts mm. of the world and presenting mm. presenting them to different audiences right. Uh, and it's always such a great joy to take it to another indigenous audience in a different country because yeah. uh, they get those jokes. Right, right. We're often time with others. You may yeah. have to, non-indigenous <laughs> audiences, you have to provide some context or some yeah, explaining yeah. sometimes. So listen, uh, we're winding down our time. I'm just wondering, uh, because we are talking about film and you've, you've obviously got a, a very rich history from your involvement with Imaginative, for people that may not be that familiar with indigenous filmmaking or the works that are out there. Could you share with us from your experience, what, what would you think are some of the, you know, a few of the top ones that people should watch? This is always a very difficult question <laughs> to answer. And, you know, part of me, uh, it's legitimately a difficult question. It's not just a matter mm. of diplomacy, I mm-hmm. think, in this regard. You know, there's, there's so much out there that's written. And I think... Um, I think someone can easily go, if if, if they've never heard of this before, there's enough written online to get a good basis in terms Mm -hmm. of what's there. Um, I think we have an incredibly rich screen culture here in Canada, as as exists elsewhere. Um, And I think a good starting point is is finding out who, um, you know, to use a a mainstream cinema term, who the masters of our cinema are. Mm -hmm. Um, Look at people like Alanisa Bomswin, who at 86, almost 87 years old, is still making at least one film a year and has a body of 50 plus works. I mean, that's an incredible starting point because her documentary work is also uh, a legacy of of this nation, of this nation state um, that really has, you know, for most of those decades, these perspectives were quashed and suppressed. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really, really vital work. Um, and I would say let's let's leave that as as a good starting point because I think you know once you're exposed to Alanis, it, it opens up worlds, and I think from there it just opens up uh, exposure to other types of work. Yeah, nicely said. I think the other thing that Annalise brings is is not just her film work, but because she is such an outspoken, well informed person that you're getting much more than just her film work if you go and start looking at her. Oh, it is. It's incredible. And I think that's been one of my favorite things about working at Imaginative, 
has has been coming to know her. I mm. remember first seeing her on Sesame Street. <laughs> and I think, you know, when you're growing up indigenous, you innately, maybe not consciously at first, I mean, I think for me, certainly mm. not consciously at first, mm. you're able to navigate what's authentic uh, portrayals of us on screen. Mm. And so for me, looking back, one of those first moments was seeing Al, um, Alanis and Buffy on mm-hmm. Sesame Street mm-hmm. and, and stopping in my tracks and, and, you know, just being captivated by what I was seeing. Um, and it's incredible to spend time with her because also she's given me a really great teaching um, because she often talks about when she was younger, she could never have imagined there be indigenous lawyers or doctors, mm. uh, which are now commonplace here. Yeah. So for me, it's always a matter of taking stock and acknowledging what positive change has happened, mm-hmm. um, what fight, what causes my generation is taking up after Alanis, uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, and what we're leaving for the next one. And so that's what we're doing this for, right? We're doing this all for... Uh, our children, our nieces mm-hmm. and nephews, mm-hmm. uh, who can grow up in a world where they have a diversity of indigenous artistic representations and indigenous role models in so many different sectors. Cool. Is there anything else that uh, we haven't touched on you want to mention just before we round up? I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've been talking a lot. Um, anything specific that I that I mentioned I think, from no, there? I, no, I, I don't think so. I just you know the only thing that we didn't touch on that I that I keep seeing, pardon the pun, because it has to do with the eye. I'm wondering, uh, you know, and, and it ties back into what we talked about in terms of what to see or, or how Indigenous uh, filmmaking is different, and, and you, you've talked about that a lot, but I'm wondering about the, you know, how, how someone looking through the camera, being Indigenous, and that could be from any part of the world, uh, sees things differently, and, and what I mean by, by that is actual camera angles and different approaches that make it feel somehow that we haven't seen that before Mm. you know i think that the lens of an artist in terms of what they bring to the screen i mean comes from within and comes from within i mean one of the universal things that we see consistently and that we hear from indigenous filmmakers um is an obligation and a responsibility to community i mean Mm. we're not necessarily Mm -hmm. talking about an individualistic artistic um vision that uh, overtakes all else. Uh, and that's something that we really try to embody too at Imagine of a responsibility to the community. Um, and I think that infiltrates their artistic gaze and the perspectives that they put on screen. I think that's really powerful. And it's, so it's, it's that, again, that shared responsibility to community uh, is one of the really defining aspects of, of our screen cultures. Jason, nicely said, because uh, I think, I think you're, you're right on with something there. So, yeah, when you go to watch an Indigenous film, folks, keep in mind the person that's behind the lens and bringing that image to you and just what Jason said about that responsibility to community because that is part of what... It's not just about making the film. It is that responsibility that you just mentioned to community, to the people they are representing. They have that in the back of their minds as well when they're doing all of this. Very nicely said. I think that's probably the big, big one for, for many people that we all carry that responsibility, no matter what we're doing. It's, it's very true. And that's something that we heard profoundly in the protocols process mm. that we mm-hmm. did. And that's a really cornerstone of the protocols mm. framework that we have out there. Um, and again, it, it's, 
and and that's really a source of 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 everything. I yeah. mean, it's it, from a viewer's point of view, uh, it's a source of 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 pride. It's it's that reflection again, that authentic reflection that mm-hmm. we see ourselves in different stories on screen. We can see aspects of ourselves presented in ways that have, you know you may not have seen before. Um, uh, places like Imaginative, I mean, in as much as things have changed, there's still, sadly, very few places to see and engage with Indigenous-made work. And mm-hmm. that's what's really important. So there are, uh, encourage everyone to see if there's an Indigenous film festival in their home community, uh, see what's available online to access, uh, you know, become a, a lover and a devourer of Indigenous made film because there's a lot that exists online and you see what people are making and see what people are telling. I mean, my hope and vision is that, you know, every major city uh, and, and sort of, you know, town that has substantial Indigenous populations has an Indigenous film festival to present this work um, because it's important that this work gets seen. Um, and I think that's a fantastic way for, you know, festivals to really embody the land that they're on to reflect the work of the artists who are being um, that are creating work in, in those regions. Nicely said. Our guest today, Jason Ryle, he is the executive director, outgoing executive director, I guess we could say, of Imaginative. It is their 20th anniversary this year. Look for a big celebration, as you may have heard us mention that. So look for that. You can check them out online at Imaginative. Dot org if you're looking for more information. And also congratulations to them with their deal with Netflix. And that's a, a big deal happening this year. And uh, lots of big things for Imaginative. So congratulations. And, and Jason, miigwech for coming in today and speaking with us. It's been a pleasure. It's been great. Thanks, David. You've been listening to Element FM and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. Thanks for listening. I also want to say nyawa miigwech wanishi and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy, Aidan Wolf, and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Janet Lamb, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Bruce Barber, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa miigwech and thanks for listening. This show was brought to you in part by APTN.